0: Good morning, good morning. It's so lovely to be with you all all today. Um, So this morning, we are continuing in our series titled, A Letter to London. And last week, Alex spoke to us from 1 Corinthians 13, verse four to six. And today, our passages are 1 Corinthians 13, verse six to seven, verse 11, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. And it reads, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor is not in vain. My childhood was very different to what many would have called normal. See, my mum, who was Ghanaian, moved from Ghana to Germany, where she met this handsome young man. The only problem was that he was already married with children, but that didn't seem to stop them. My mum fell pregnant, and knowing that this relationship was going nowhere, she moved here to London, where she had me. My mum struggled as a single parent, and I watched her going from violent, abusive relationships. Here she was in a city that wasn't familiar to her, with a language that she didn't know. So she thought that the best thing to do would be to send me to Ghana until she got herself sorted here. Before I was even a year old, I was sent to Ghana where I lived in a type of foster care system, moving from home to home and city to city, and that was pretty much my life until I was nine years old and I moved back here to London. It didn't take me long to recognize that my mum had her own struggles. She struggled with her relationships and often with married men. And so I watched her turn to alcohol as a way of coping. Yes, that wasn't ideal and that wasn't the kind of family that many would hope for, but that was my family. She was my mum. She tried and I loved her. I remember the the day I realised that my mum was struggling and, and we had just come home from the doctor's appointment and we had been told that my mom had cancer. A few years later, she passed away. I remember taking my phone and scrolling down to her phone number and deleting her number because I realized that she would never call me again. I remember thinking, God, why have you let this happen? I thought you loved me. See, as far as I was concerned, yes, maybe God was all powerful. Maybe he was even all knowing, but he couldn't have been all loving. Because if God was all loving, he wouldn't have let this evil thing happen. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 6 reads Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. So, firstly, Love rejoices with the truth. I found it so interesting how this verse um, presents evil and truth as opposites, but when we think of evil, we naturally think of good as the opposite. I mean, the opposite of evil is good, right? It's pretty much the the storyline of every film ever made. But here, there is something different happening Paul is not contrasting good and evil. He is contrasting truth and evil. The Greek word for truth is aletheia. And this word is used in the New Testament alone over a hundred times. And it's only ever translated to mean one thing truth. So Paul was not using this word truth as a synonym for good. He meant what he said love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. So what is the evil lie that love refuses to accept? And what is the truth that love rejoices with? The evil lie is this, that God does not love you, that God does not love this city. The evil lie is that God does not love you and that's why the cost of living is rising. That's why energy prices are soaring. The lie is that God does not love you and that's why you're hurting. That's why you're lonely. That's why you're struggling at work and with that addiction and with that behavior pattern. The lie is that God does not love you. But that is the most evil lie ever told. So, what is the truth that comes against this lie that makes love rejoice? The truth is this. For God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not die but have eternal life. The truth is this, that God so loved you that he didn't think you were just okay, that he so loved you that he gave us his only son. The truth is this, that in Jesus all things were created and in him there is freedom, there is hope, there is fullness of life. The truth is that in Jesus, he is the light of all mankind and the darkness cannot overcome it. The truth is this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So what what evil lies have you come to believe in? Is it that you will never be good enough as a parent, as a spouse, as a friend, as a son or a daughter? Is it that you are not talented enough to go after that job? Is the lie that you will never be free of that addiction or that pattern. What evil lie is stopping you from rejoicing with the truth? Secondly, love sees your labor. The passage says, always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. In the past year, I have learned a little bit about what it means to labor. I have a one-year-old son called Judah, and oh my goodness, I, I love him, I love him so much. <laughs> oh, look at his little high top. <laughs> but. Before I had Judah and I was was planning to leave work, to go on maternity leave, I was oblivious to the reality of life with a newborn. In my head, I was about to get a whole year off work. So so I packed my diary to the brim. I made plans to meet up with everybody, old friends, new friends, work friends, mum friends. I even made plans to organize the garage, to go to the gym, Because what else was I gonna do with all this new found time? Gosh, I was naive. And I realized, I realized very quickly after having Judah that that was not the beginning of free time and coffees, that this was going to be a year of continued labor. I mean, the sleepless nights, the the -the round-the-clock feeds, the weaning, the teething, the endless pile of laundry. But one year on, I look at Judah and I see the joy that lives in this sweet boy and I'm reminded that my labor is not in vain. And we're only at the beginning. I mean, there is plenty more laboring to go. (laughs) Martin, Martin Luther said this, the gospel is read forwards, but it is understood backwards. When I look back at my journey this past year alone, and even just to get to this point, I understand that this parenting thing that I've been called to, you know, that I have been entrusted with, that I have to give myself fully to it because it is for God's glory and therefore it cannot be in vain. As I, as I walked in church this morning, I was offered a cup of coffee. I was then offered a lovely pastry to go with my coffee. I realize that there is work being done behind the scenes to make that happen. From waking up early, navigating the slow Sunday morning transport, I realize there's a lot of prep. So so thank you to the cafe team who made that possible. Thank you. Thank you to Thank you to the hosting team who greeted me as I walked in through the door. Thank you to the vergers who put out the chairs, to the worship team, to the production team. Thank you to all of you who have labored behind the scenes to make church happen today. Now, I know there are some of you sitting here and you are thinking, you have no idea the kind of labor that I am enduring. You have no idea how much I have cried out to God, Jemima, just to feel like it was all a waste of time. And you know what? You are right. I don't know your story, but I know someone who does, and his name is Jesus. And as you came into church this morning and you walked down that drive, you would have seen the Black History Month art installation sharing some of the stories of some of you here today, stories of challenges and of victories, and yet there are still so many stories that we don't know, but the God of love knows them all. And guess what? He is not some far away, distant God. No, he knows what you are going through because he himself gave himself fully too. When Jesus died on the cross, that was a labor of love. We have a God who knows what it feels like to devote himself fully to a cause and to carry it to completion. We have a God who knows what it feels like to know pain, See, he is not a God of sympathy. He is a God of empathy. He doesn't just look at us with pity and say, you know, I'm really sorry you're going through that. He is a God who says, I see what you are going through and I am right here with you. So always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor is not in vain. Lastly, The way that Paul describes love in this passage reminds me that love looks like the cross. Verse 7 says, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Since we're all friends here, I know there's no judgment, but I love a good hallmark rom-com. I love it. I mean, I love the whole predictable, cheesy storyline. you know, the girl leaves the city, moves to a small town, and marries the boy next door. It's great. And it's only October, but Netflix has some great hallmark rom-coms out already. So my husband, Carl, he won't watch them with me. He says that this isn't real love. And even though I won't tell him that, he's right. It is not love Because real love is is courageous. You know, real love is, is bold, it's sacrificial, and it endures. In the original translation of the word love that Paul uses, he uses the word agape. And agape is defined as a constant love, one that doesn't waver. It is a selfless love. It gives without expecting. It is a love that is so great that it continues to love even when it is rejected. It's a love that loves simply because it wants to. It's a love that bears all and chooses to move towards us even when we turn away. God loves you simply because he loves you. Verse seven says, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres and all that fullness of love is seen in Jesus. Colossians 2.9 says, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human body. Jesus is the divine amnesty of God poured out for us all. He is the very embodiment of God's love. He is the arms of God, opened up, stretched wide. He covers all sin, all shame, past, present, and future. He is the fulfillment of prophecy. And in him, God has loved his people. And as he died on the cross, we saw the very heart of God. He revealed to us who our father is. A God who suffered with us and for us. A God who moves towards us even when we reject him? The cross of Jesus shows us that love is more than just an emotion, but an act of will, a movement in a particular direction. And on that cross, Jesus shows us the direction of God's love for us. I had heard about being heartbroken but for the first time in my life when my mom passed away, I could actually feel my heart breaking. And I don't remember much of those days and weeks after she passed, but I remember the faces of the people that refused to leave me in my brokenness. I remember the friends who endured with me, the friends who sacrificed their time to sit with me, and even those who cried with me. See, people remember very little what you say to them, but they remember how you made them feel and how you loved them. So what is the direction of your love? What are you moving towards? Maybe you're feeling a nudge to call that friend that you haven't spoken to in a while and you know they live in London now. Perhaps you feel moved to serve food at the night shelter over at Queensgate and at St. Luke's over the winter months. Maybe you're thinking about giving up your time to help with love your neighbour over Christmas. The thing is, our city is desperate for love, and not just any kind of love, not a rom-com kind of love, but an enduring, sacrificial, agape love Our city is desperate for a love that looks like the cross. And so we're going to pray together. And if you are able, I would love for you to stand with me as we do.